0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Hoist the Colors podcast. And man, uh, this is going to be a tough one to recap. ECU Falls, to also 34 to thirty. I am Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, also the publisher at HoistTheColors.net. We're breaking down ECU's unfortunate setback to Tulsa, their controversial setback, their much-talked-about setback, as we record this on Saturday afternoon during the college football Saturday. This is still a storyline that, you know, really is is obviously being promoted a lot regionally with, with East Carolina fans and locally across the state of North Carolina, but even as I sit here and watch these other games on Saturday, we're seeing it scroll across the bottom line. Uh, the controversial officiating on Tulsa's final drive that led to the Golden Hurricanes' 34-30 to victory over East Carolina, which in my opinion should have a big asterisk beside it because of the poor and quite honestly just incomprehensible officiating that we saw from the American Athletic Conference on Friday night in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It counts as a loss for ECU, which drops them to 1-4 and on the season and 1-3 in American Athletic Conference play. Tulsa, which is right on the verge of the top 25, might even get into the top 25 with this victory, uh, improves to 3-1 and 3-0 in the American, their only loss coming at Oklahoma State, which is undefeated on the season currently. So just a really tough, disheartening loss for ECU. We'll get into your questions here as we go along. Just wanted to give kind of my take on the situation. Before I dive into that, uh, the American did come out today and admit at least to one of the officiating errors of really the big three controversial plays on Tulsa's final drive where they took the lead after these three plays went in Tulsa's favor. Of course, you had the late pass interference call on Warren Saba. That was on a 4th and 10. Saba did, there was a little contact on the play, uh, but it looked like pretty clean coverage overall. He didn't forcibly move the receiver off his spot. He had his, his hand on his shoulder and then used the other hand to bat away the pass. In the NFL, that's rarely called pass interference, and honestly is rarely called pass interference at the college level but uh the back judge the thing that makes this the most curious is the back judge from 35 yards away you can't even see him on the replay came out of nowhere to throw the flag two seconds after the play from legitimately 35 to 40 yards away there's no way that that official saw exactly what happened from that distance I mean there's just no way so that call makes zero sense that was the first call That extended Tulsa's drive. Uh, A few, The very next play, T.K. Wilkerson, the Tulsa running back, goes up the middle for a pretty big gain. Jairo Wilson comes in, strips the ball away. He hits the ground. The ball comes loose, recovered by Jacob McMillan. Call on the field is a fumble, recovered by ECU. Replay shows that Jairo Wilson strips the ball. The ball is coming free, and then it kind of bounces back into Wilkerson's hands, and he's bobbling it all the way to the ground. He hits the ground. The ball comes firmly loose. Once he hits the ground, somehow, some way, upon review, uh, I assume this is the the official replay review person's call and not the official on the field because the call on the field was right. But after review, they call it not a fumble, and it's Tulsa's ball. So somehow they overturned what was deemed the correct call on the field. The American Athletic Conference officially put out a statement this morning. Uh, they, This is what it says word for word. The American Athletic Conference has acknowledged an officiating error that occurred in the fourth quarter of the October 30th East Carolina Tulsa football game. With 1.52 remaining in the fourth quarter, a Tulsa ball carrier was ruled by the own field officials to have fumbled with the ensuing recovery by East Carolina. After further review of the play by the replay official, The ruling on the field was reversed. The replay official determined that the ball carrier had regained possession and was down prior to East Carolina's ultimately recovering the ball. After reviewing the video of the play, the conference has determined that the judgment of the replay official was incorrect. The ball carrier did not regain possession of the ball, and the ruling on the field awarding the ball to East Carolina should not have been reversed. The American Athletic Conference has conducted a review of the game and has communicated its findings to East Carolina and Tulsa so score remains Tulsa 34 ECU 30 uh, but at least you do get some solace from the fact that the call was wrong and ECU should have had the ball probably would have won the game from that point with less than two minutes to go I can't remember if Tulsa had two or three timeouts but they would have been up against it at least getting the ball back deep in their own territory with no timeouts remaining uh, or ECU gets a first down and runs the clock out so Uh, But that's not all. Then a few plays later, ECU's defense, to its credit, responds, forces a fourth and four. Zach Smith's pass to Josh Johnson is behind him. It's ruled a catch on the field. Replay shows, especially from the reverse angle, that the ball is skidding across the turf. You can even see the black pellets skidding underneath the ball, uh, clearly using the ground to help secure the catch. After review, they deemed that the, the catch was a confirmed catch. Not just that the play stands, but a confirmed catch Uh, in in the backlash on social media after that uh, play in particular where there are are tons of steal shots with the ball sitting on the ground, Uh, plus the fumble. You had Scott Van Pelt, Stanford Steve, all sorts of betting people weighing in online, people that don't even really care about ECU or Tulsa, just non-biased football fans, Uh, really speaking to the shady and, and poor officiating of the American Athletic Conference. Of course, after that fourth down conversion, I think it's the next play, Wilkerson busts off a big run down to the ECU one-yard line, and he scores with 29 seconds to go. Tulsa leads 34-30. ECU does actually get a shot to win the game going the other way. Uh, They have three timeouts remaining. They get a big kick return from Keaton Mitchell down inside Tulsa territory, but they weren't able to complete anything over the middle of the field, which was disappointing because you could have used your timeouts there they get down to around the 30-yard line. Would have liked to see seen them get, get down to the 15 or 20 to have a more realistic shot. But one final play, holding Aylers pass to C.J. Johnson. Unfortunately, falls incomplete. Actually had a shot at making the catch did C.J. went right through his hands. He was kind of getting interfered with, but uh, you're not going to get that call in that situation unless maybe you're, you're ECU. Then the American might throw a flag on you. But uh, Tulsa not going to get called for that in that situation. Ball falls incomplete ecu loses 34 to 30 and this is one of the more tough games to accept if you're an ecu player ecu uh, fan ecu coach it's you know this is the this is a gut-wrenching loss in every sense of the word mike houston was pretty much at a loss for words after the game saying he didn't really know what to tell his team you know they did everything right they did what they needed to do to win the game and really had uh, had it robbed from them and it's unfortunate um you know, I'm not one to to talk about conspiracy theories or that the refs intentionally throw games, but when you see something like that, that's so egregious, so many times over, it really does make you wonder. I I, I personally feel like it's it's more incompetence than somebody trying to screw ECU over. But uh, this game, in my opinion, will be dubbed the the Tulsa Screwjob because of how how poorly it was officiated. I mean, I. I don't remember the 1998 Alabama game, but a lot of ECU fans say that was uh, that was one that was similar in terms of screw job on the road in an SEC environment. But this one in my lifetime, there have been a lot of bad calls against ECU in football and basketball over the years. But this one, the string of bad calls. You might see one bad call. You might see two bad calls. Never have I seen three egregious penalties or terrible decision making based upon review go against the same team in one series to determine the outcome of the game it's just unfathomable really and you have replay you have instant replay to get the calls right the call on the field on the fumble was correct and somehow the American managed to screw it up and reverse the correct call to the incorrect call after looking at the replay when the ball is clearly coming loose after the Jairo Wilson strip, T.K. Wilkerson is falling to the ground. The ball is out of his hand. You cannot regain possession in half a second on your way to the ground. I mean, it makes absolutely zero sense. And honestly, whoever is in charge of making that call, the American says that the uh, they determined that the judgment of the replay official was incorrect. Honestly, that, that replay official should be fired. He should never be allowed to be a replay official again, because if you cannot make that call, if you cannot at least say, Hey, we don't have enough evidence here to overturn it. Then you, you don't need to do that job because that is an easy call. You don't reverse that call unless it's a hundred percent conclusive. And it was not, it wasn't even close. It was a fumble. Uh, so I, I just don't understand that. I, I really wish, you know, I went back and forth with the American, uh, spokesperson, Chuck Sullivan, a little bit. And, um, you know, I did ask, is there any sort of review process for potential rep- reprimand for the officials and replay official that worked the game? I also asked, was there any explanation of the completed catch that was confirmed upon review later in the Tulsa Drive? This is Chuck Sullivan's response uh, to me uh, from the American Athletic Conference. Not an official statement or anything, but this is their PR person, what he told me. Uh, Steven, yes, there is a review slash evaluation process for game officials. Every play of every game is evaluated for things like mechanics, positioning, accuracy, and judgment. And game assignments and postseason opportunities are certainly driven by those evaluations. Then he goes on to say, nothing more from our end on the reception in question. We have shared our initial review on the game with both teams, but keeping that internal as we normally do with that process. So, they make the public statement on the fumble, no public statement on the catch in question, you know, which I personally think there's no way you can confirm that. If you go with it stands, that's fine, but clearly some, something does not add up there with the replay official and uh, what we saw on Friday night. So, just really a bizarre loss for ECU, and it's unfortunate because I feel like this is a win. That ECU needed considering how they played. You know, you go from potentially being two and three to one and four, uh, two and two in conference to one and three. And in reality, without Holt Nailers missing the Navy game, you could be three and two right now and three and one in conference. You could be in second you could be in second place in the American Athletic Conference right now, hosting Tulane with the possibility to get to four and one, and then you're playing at Cincinnati with a chance to go in first place in this conference. I mean, yes, that's looking at it uh, glass half full, but tell me I'm wrong. I mean, tell me ECU would not have beaten Navy with Holton Nailers and should not have won last night's game. So, again, the, the record for people who don't follow the program, they're going to see 1-4, and ECU loses to Tulsa, same old, same old. But anybody who watched the game, anybody who has a clue, should know that this program is 100% moving in the right direction under Mike Houston's staff. And, you know, it's a shame they don't have the results to show for it. Uh, You know, I do think, Mike Houston says it a lot, people that do things the right way will eventually get rewarded. ECU will get rewarded. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be against Tulane. I don't know if it's going to be in a couple weeks at Cincinnati, which might be a top five team by the time ECU's rolling in there. But eventually this thing will turn, and I'll tell you what, the American better enjoy these victories over ECU while they can because this program, I think, is changing right before our eyes. Uh, I think this is going to be a program that's dangerous in another year or two. They're already dangerous. You know, honestly, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm scared of playing ECU on a Friday night with a potential trip to the college football playoff on the line because, you know, we'll see what happens in the two-lane game. But I think ECU is going to give Cincinnati a fight if they played like they did last night. So, you know, we'll continue to see. Again, it's a shame, but at least the American has come out with a statement. You know, they're not going to reverse the outcome. That's just not – realistic that didn't even happen in the Miami Duke game a couple years ago on the crazy uh, return which uh, really there was a should have been a penalty on that play and so you know that that would just be unprecedented and the American isn't going to do that and it's a shame for the players and the coaches and I hate it I hate it for all of them that put in this work and to get screwed over like this it's unfortunate but hopefully you know I see this going one of two ways ECU can either rally around this, put their chip on the shoulder as big as ever, us against the world mentality as ECU and Pirate Nation versus the American Athletic Conference versus everybody, and they can go out and just play with a ton of anger and emotion and channel that the right way against Tulane and going forward, and then you see this team and then some the rest of the season that we saw on Friday night start to win these types of games, or After 24 hours, if if the Pirates can't put this behind them, which I doubt the fan base will because that's what fans do. That's what media does. We talk about this stuff because it's quite honestly entertaining and, and fun to dissect, although it's not really fun right now, but it gives us plenty of talking points and plenty of things to discuss. But the team itself has to put this behind them by Sunday. When you start Tulane prep, as tough it is, as tough it is, you have to either channel this emotion the right way or move on from it completely and uh, get ready for Tulane because uh, they're beating up on Temple right now pretty good. They're going to have their first conference win coming into Dottie Ficklin Stadium. And they're a team probably talent-wise, probably across the board, pretty even with ECU. So it's going to take another great effort to win. Uh, this coming Saturday inside Dowdy ficklin Stadium. So we'll get more into that matchup as we go along. But I, th- I think how EC responds to this, you know, if you lose to Tulane, this season could go off the rails. If you if you beat Tulane and you get back to 2-4 and four and 2-3 and three in conference play with some winnable games against Temple, and, you know, I still think Cincinnati's a winnable game to close uh, November, I think you could still turn your season around from a wins and loss perspective. I, I still think this program – Overall, is heading in the right direction, though, despite the wins and losses. And I think anybody who watches these games uh, can certainly say the same. All right, we're going to get to some of your questions here in a second. Just wanted to run over some of the actual football stats from last night's game. Uh, ECU dominates time possession against Tulsa. Uh, really just a, a tremendous game plan. 35 minutes to Tulsa's 24 minutes. And in the first half, In particular, 11 minutes and 18 seconds, ECU held the ball in the second quarter. So basically the entire second quarter. And in the third quarter, 9 minutes and 40 seconds. Granted, Tulsa had multiple quick scoring drives that, that quarter, which was disappointing. But the first half defense we saw from ECU was probably the best half of football defensively that we've seen in at least a handful of years. You know, they really shut down Tulsa. They were blitz happy. They were getting to Zach Smith, the Tulsa quarterback. 17-3 was your halftime score Tulsa had just 109 yards at halftime things changed in the third quarter for sure Tulsa really made some nice adjustments they finished with 428 yards of offense uh, to ECU's 456 and so you know you wish you you, specifically in that third quarter that first drive of the second half ECU's up 17-3 Tulsa goes five plays 78 yards in a minute and 33 seconds you know, you'd like to see a little bit more resistance there, but credit Tulsa for making some adjustments. We uh, we have to talk about some of the red zone struggles for ECU, which without those, this maybe doesn't come down to the officiating. Um, you know, you, you look at the release, that third quarter. I can't remember if it's the third or fourth quarter. I don't have the box score in front of me um, in terms of the play-by-play. But that sequence where ECU had an opportunity – To turn it from 17 to 10 to 24 to 10, they have to settle for a Jake Verity field goal. That makes it 20 to 10. ECU then Tulsa comes right back, converts a couple of key fourth downs, scores a touchdown. That makes it 20-17, and and then ECU ends up having uh, ends up after it's 20 to 20, ends up having a field goal blocked. Where on third and one from the Tulsa three, they rang Darius Penix up the gut and really a pretty predictable call and he was stuffed for a negative one yard loss they have to settle for the field goal it's blocked and instead of going up 23 to 20 it remains a 20-20 game that was a very disappointing sequence if you're east carolina the pirates luckily do get a fumble uh, and then are able to take the lead the next time down after tulsa scored a touchdown we were able to see a good red zone execution play on fourth and goal, as Ayler's found Rajay Harris for a four-yard touchdown that gave ECU a, a momentarily uh, held thirty to twenty-seven lead before Tulsa's final drive, which we've already broken down. And uh, Tulsa goes on to win at thirty-four to thirty. Holton Ayler's played a phenomenal football game as he came back from the COVID protocols. Thirty-eight of 50, 330 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Really, that pick was kind of a freak play. Had some weird. Um, pressure around him and tried to make kind of an awkward throw I can't tell if his arm was hit but it told the linebacker made a play where they got the pick uh, but outside of that I thought Holton played just a phenomenal game certainly well enough to win Tyler Sneed 16 catches 108 yards a touchdown just you know <laughs> me and me and Bobby talked about it we didn't think this would be a big Tyler Snead game. But Tulsa did play a lot more zone than man-to-man, and that allowed Snead to really beat them underneath a ton. Blake Pro also has a huge game, six catches for 69. Audio Matosho was seven catches, which was a career high for 76 yards. CJ Johnson just two catches for 41 yards, but he did have a 25-yard touchdown. He also did have another drop. Uh, Cam Burnett with a catch for 15 yards, and then both running backs get a, a couple of catches. On the ground, Rajay Harris, his third straight 100 yard game, 21 carries for 118 yards, 5.6 yards per carry average. He is the first running back since Fantavius Cooper in 2012 to have three straight 100 yard rushing games. So clearly, Rajay Harris turning to the bell cow that this ECU offense wants. And I think that that. Really gives this whole offense a different dimension because now going into each game that Rajay Harris plays at ECU, you have to account for the run if you're the defense, and that's that's just going to make Holt Naylor's that much better in the passing game as a whole. Defensively, Jaber Wilson was the star. Nine tackles, he was credited with one and a half sacks. Only credited with one forced fumble, should have been two, including the game winner. But hey, it is what it is. Uh, Sean Dorso and Warren Saba, both safeties, get a pick. Chris Willis gets a sack. Xavier Smith credited with a half a sack. I thought the defense, again, played well enough to win despite the third-quarter struggle. So Frustrating game. Frustrating result. I thought ECU, 17-point dogs on the road. They had to play a phenomenal game to win. They turned the ball over three times and still almost win as a 17-point dog on the road. Gets screwed over on three calls. Still almost win. so it's frustrating. The word almost is frustrating to say, but that's where ECU is right now, unfortunately, and got to move on and see what's in the cards next against Tulane. It's a winnable game, but it will be a tough game next Saturday. All right, we're going to get into your questions here in a second. First, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. All right, back here on the Hoist of Colors podcast, let's dive into your questions. Bonds Johns asked If you are Coach Houston, do you treat the guys to victory meal and try to mentally convince them they won the game since they did? You know, I've been going back and forth on this one. First, I said no, but you know what? Yes, I would. I would. I, you know, th- they did enough to win. They should have won the game. Yes, they did not win on the scoreboard, but it was out of their control. It's unfortunate, but to me you know they're winners and i know you don't want to say moral victories and all that stuff but this is different than a moral victory this is this is a game that you were robbed of by poor officiating the american itself the conference itself came out and said they blew the game the conference officials blew the game the replay officials blew the game so i'm doing it Uh, it probably won't happen but uh, i would do it uh Berg Pirate asks, "With our last two games, has the rest of the league been put on notice? This is a different program from a year ago. I fully expect to beat Tulane, Temple, and SMU while competing with Cincinnati." Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't. If you're a, if you're another opposing coach, I don't see how you watch the film of the Tulsa game and say this is the same old ECU. And the thing that made me feel like this is not the same old ECU is you you compare this year's Tulsa game to last year's Tulsa, and it's no comparison. And Mike Houston said "Going into the game. This year's team was no comparison to last year's team. But, you know, I still had some doubt in my mind. Could they go on the road against a Tulsa team that's going to go and they're going to play a little dirty, they're going to try to get in ECU's head, and can they compete for 60 minutes? Not only did they compete, they dominated, the, you know, a, a chunk of the game, weren't able to finish, you know, due to some controversial calls and also some mistakes in the red zone and, and defensively, but – there's no doubt. This is a this is a team that when they're clicking can beat anyone in the American. I firmly believe that. I'm not going to say the Cincinnati game is unwinnable. Is it highly unlikely? Sure, but I would not be I would not be shocked if ECU goes to Cincinnati and is in a position to win the game, especially based on how they played Cincinnati last year. So, yeah, I mean I think the league has to be put on notice. I, I think Tulsa's players, Ally Green, their their six cornerback, he went from talking a lot of smack to shutting up real quick. After uh, after C.J. Johnson beat him a couple times, he had to grab on to him for a pass interference call and a couple other deals, and their their whole defense was just extra chippy, man. Um, and that's just their style. And so, but I think it's clear ECU is not going to roll over and be the same team as past years. This is going to be a team that that beats a lot of teams in the American in the years to come, and and times are changing. So uh, these other teams can enjoy it while they can, and uh, I do think it'll change sooner than later. Uh, Berg Pirate also asked, do you think most of our seniors come back? Any word on how the numbers are looking? You know, I get we've gotten this question a few times on the pod. I just don't know. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where every situation is different. You know, does Deontay Smith want to come back after missing most of his uh, senior year? I mean, I, I would think yes. I would think so, but honestly don't know. I can't get inside his head. You know, what does a Bruce Bivens do? Uh, What does a Fernando Fry do? He's already been in college football for five-plus years now. He's a grad student. Sean Bailey, he's a fifth-year senior. Does he want to come back and continue to play for the Pirates up front? So you're going to have some decisions to make. And if you're John Gilbert, the athletic director, you've got some decisions to make on the financial front because ECU can have however many seniors they want uh, returning plus the 85 scholarships. So I think there's around 15 seniors you could theoretically have 100 scholarship players but scholarships are pretty expensive and ecu is losing a ton of money like most schools due to the covid situation so can you afford to pay 15 extra scholarships in football i don't know that's something that honestly will probably have to be discussed more towards uh the end of the season so uh hopefully it can provide some more clarity then anchorman asked uh, can we petition to have both the replay official in the head umpire fired seriously well i mean i think change.org already has a petition with a couple hundred if not thousands of signatures um calling for the firings of the officials last night so you can do it in that regard and send that over to the american uh, conference office i don't think that it'll matter because i don't think they're going to actually fire anybody and uh but it is what it is I, i think you know to me the replay official who made the call to reverse the fumble and to confirm the catch should never be a replay official again. Uh, You can't be in that position and and make that egregious of a mistake. If so, then you clearly aren't very good at your job. So I I think that, you know, you have one job, and that's to not overturn a play that's obvious on the field. And that person messed it up. We don't know who it is. We do know who the head umpire was. He's called a lot of uh, college football games over the years and has done some prominent games, so. At least they did get that call right on the field, and I think it's up to the replay official to make the final call there. So I had the biggest problem with the replay official and the back judge who called the pass interference call when he wasn't even positioned to see it. Um all right, Pirate Backer asks this is not or he just says this is not the first time a crew under the watch of Mr. Cabrice has come under scrutiny. He's speaking to the head head judge. Yes, I sent out a leak earlier link earlier on Twitter that the Navy-Temple game in 2018, the back judge, the same back judge who made the call on Warren Sabah threw a controversial flag on Navy on a touchdown run uh, that changed the complexion of that game. Ken Niamatololo, the Navy coach, was extremely upset after the game. As a result, Temple went on the win. So, again, this this staff or this, this, uh, this crew is not foreign to scrutiny. And that is something I would think the American has to take into consideration. But, you know, reaching out to the American, it sounds like they'll try to do those things behind closed doors. We'll we'll continue to see in the coming days if anything else unfolds from this uh, fallout. Chess Pirate asks, setting aside the fumble on the kickoff fair catch and just on kickoffs in general, what seems to be the rule of thumb? Do they want our return man to bring it out every time the ball does not cross into the end zone? Obviously with the hope he will get past the 25-yard line. Are they trading off the potential for a big run back and better field position versus starting on the 15 or 20-yard line on many other occasions? Well, first off, outside of the dropped fair catch by Josiah Hatfield, I thought Hatfield looked great in the return game. He looked explosive. He looked like a guy who was a threat to take it to the house if he could keep his feet a couple times. And so he's the person that needs to touch the ball more with his explosiveness, and I like that. If he can get, you know, get the habit of, catching the ball more consistently, you can't drop a fair catch. That was part of the reason that one drive with the Holton Nailers pick fizzled. There's a huge difference between starting around the 20 and starting inside your own five-yard line, so that has to be corrected, but I think with his explosiveness and upside, you know, him and Keaton Mitchell give you the best kickoff return guys in terms of explosiveness. I like Tyler Snead's sure-handedness on punts because those are typically more difficult to catch than kickoff returns, but You know, as far as what the rule of thumb is, you know, Mike Houston has said in the past, the kick returner, based on the trajectory of the ball, how high it is, the distance, all that comes into play in terms of do you want to call for a fair catch or do you want to return it. So it's up to the return man to measure kind of the flight of the ball, where it is on the field, what the return call is, what direction it's kicked in to determine how to return it. And going into this game, Tulsa had zero touchbacks this year. And so you knew you were going to have a chance to return it, which is probably why they put Hatfield at kick return. And I thought he did make some plays. If you take away the fair catch blunder, it was a very good day as a return man for just Hatfield. Rock City Pirate asks, Is it possible that Replay Booth did not get all the looks that we saw on TV? Just clueless as to how those calls were not clear upon review. Also, what are the thoughts on CJ's overturned touchdown? The replay gods don't seem to be kind to the Pirates. Yeah, I mean, I... I would think that they have all the same same views as us, if not more, on the replay system. I mean, they should have access to everything on TV and then some, if possible. So, I don't think that's an excuse. I think they just blew the call. They just flat out blew it. It just doesn't make sense. Also, what are the thoughts on CJ's overturned touchdown? Yeah, I mean, that was confusing to me. Uh, Mike Houston said the explanation, explanation after the game was CJ got his toe down but not his heel and it had to be one continuous motion, toe and heel. Which confuses me because how many times have we seen a guy on the sideline going to make a catch and he drags his toe and it's called a completed catch? Why is that different than being in the back of the end zone and tapping your toe before the heel comes down? That just confuses me a little bit. I don't really, you know, maybe that is the rule. Um, that is the, the the explanation that Mike Houston got, so it has to be the rule. Granted, these refs probably don't know what they're talking about based on what we saw on Friday, but that, that if that's the rule, it doesn't make much sense. You know, your toe coming down first, I would think, would constitute as a catch. Uh, you know, to me, that would constitute as a catch. If, if it does on the sideline, why would it be different? than in the back of the end zone. So, that's, you know, that's out of my pay range. Uh, The Mick asked, what do you think overall is CJ's problem this year? You know, CJ has had at least one drop in every game. He is drawing multiple flags all the time. Basically, every week he drew two, you know, one or two on Tulsa on Friday night, which helps uh, extend drives and change field position. So, that was a positive for CJ, but yeah, the drops, again, tonight, he had one over the middle where he just tried to look up field and run before he made the catch, and that's something we've seen with a lot of his drops. He's just trying to run before he catches it, and I get it. You're going across the middle of the field, there's a chance you might get popped, there's a chance you want to make extra yardage, but he's just got to look it in, and he's got to secure the football. And do that before he's able to, to turn up field. So I think they were able to overcome that drop with a PI penalty on Pro to extend the drive. But yeah, that's something CJ's got to clean up. I don't know. You know, I've heard stuff. There might be some stuff going on in his personal life, which has affected him mentally a little bit. I don't know if that's, you know, affecting his play at all. But um, he continues to make big plays. He's just not able to be consistent right now, uh, which is hurting the ECU offense for sure. ECU Jackie Moon he asked a couple questions what do you think happens to the offensive line when we finally get Deontay Smith back who gets bumped Uh, he also adds I won't even have you project Noah Henderson with this uncertain timetable yeah I mean Deontay made the trip and he was very vocal very into it on the sideline definitely looked pretty skinny from the standpoint of an offensive tackle in terms of you know we know that his weight is down due to you know, being out with some medical issues this preseason, now with this injury, I mean, he's been out five, six weeks. So I don't know what type of plan shape he's in or will be in when he returns. I don't know what the holdup is. He hasn't been able to get cleared by doctors since the opener, which worries you a little bit. Hopefully he will get clearance here sometime soon. Um, but I think if, if he returns and he's your left tackle, which, you know, he's your best offensive lineman, so he's got to play left tackle. I think Strother to right tackle makes sense. You know, right guard between Sean Bailey and Trent Holler. It hasn't been perfect, but it's been solid. And so, to me, I would almost go Deontay Smith, left tackle, left guard, Avery Jones, center Fernando Fry. Although Fernando, you know, he's, he played better last night from a blocking perspective. He's got to clean up the penalties. The penalties, the snap fractions, that has to has to be cleaned up. Uh, right guard, you know Sean Bailey, Trent Holler, You can you can get by there, and then right tackle Bailey Malovic and Justin Chase have mainly been playing there. But I think if you can get some consistent play from your right and left tackle at the same time with Strother and Smith, then your offensive line is going to be that much better. So yes, yeah, Strother can play right guard too if that's deemed necessary. If he's an upgrade over Holler and and Bailey, I mean I think Strother's going to play somewhere. Is the bottom line. It's just a matter of where they're going to put Strother. Who are they gonna take out once Deontay returns at left tackle? The other thing you worry about too is it's been so long since Deontay played and so long since this offensive line has been kind of shuffled around, they're just starting to kind of find their groove. Do you really want to shuffle it around too much more? So yeah, I mean, I definitely thought I definitely think you want Deontay in there if he's back, but it's it's also it'll be curious to see what direction they go there. Uh, ECU Jackie Moon also asks, what steps does John Gilbert really have at his disposal with the officiating and what do you think them admitting to such an obvious mistake changes anything with how we are officiated in future games? Well, unfortunately, there's not much at his disposal outside of just calling up Mike Oresco and asking for, you know, an extensive review, um, teaching moments for the officials, and... You know the Americans not going to come out and they're not going to say, "Hey, we're going to be more lenient to ECU in future games." But I, you know, I think I'd be surprised if you don't see ECU start getting some calls in the weeks to come. I think generally, once you see this much blowback, you will see, you know, maybe not blatantly obvious calls going in ECU's way, but I think it does help their perception. Um, You know, let's be real, ECU's fan base is much more passionate than Tulsa, than the majority of teams in this conference. If this happens to Tulsa, honestly, the, the American might not even have to make a statement. I don't even know if Tulsa has enough fans to cause an uproar, uh, as good of a team as they are. They, they have zero fans. They, they have, in terms, of, in terms of comparison to ECU and the passion and the overall width of the fan base, it's no comparison. I mean, the ECU fans were just destroying every tweet the American has sent out since last night's game They had to address it, and I'll be surprised because if ECU continues to get screwed in similar situations, it's just going to get worse. Um, So, you know, I I do think it helps the perception of ECU going forward, potentially getting some calls in football, but, you know, as far as what steps Gilbert has at his disposal, there's just not much he can do outside of just call up the Mike Oresco or the American uh, officiating head and and really get to the, you know, get some behind-the-scenes discussions. There's nothing much they can say publicly. Uh, Stu ECU asks how long has the heel slash toe rule been in effect never heard of it before it doesn't make much sense look like a touchdown to me yeah we hit on that earlier I just don't I don't know I mean it's just uh I've never really seen that or heard that rule at all either and it's probably pretty rare that you know you have a touchdown where a guy only gets the toe in but not the heel so maybe that's why I haven't heard it but uh, I feel like I've seen that in the NFL before and it's called a touchdown. So I'll try to ask maybe uh, Chuck Sullivan that what exactly is the ruling there in, in the official rule book, just to get some clarification on that. Um, so, yeah, Bon Johns had a statement earlier, no question here, but he's just responding to Rock City Pirate, who had the question about the re- replay booth not getting all the looks. He, he adds, uh, the catch you could argue maybe they didn't get the good look since the call in the field was catch, but even then to confirm it, even if they didn't see the back angle that showed it hit the ground, is absolutely impossible. The fumble didn't take some insane angles to see the ball was knocked loose, and there's no way to argue he gained control of a loose football on the way to the ground, only for it to come right back out the second he touched the ground. Yeah, I mean, I know we've disagreed with Bonds-Johns a lot in the past, but 100%, you can't argue with any of those takes. Uh, that was a clear, egregious replay official error. And if you're ECU... You got screwed. The Tulsa screw job will unfortunately li- live in infamy for ECU fans. It ranks up there probably with the Hail Mary, with the Alabama game, with the Southern Miss game, the time that the fan ran on the field and punched the official. Uh, as far as just the ultimate devastating losses, the Liberty Bowls. Uh, you know, luckily for ECU there wasn't as much on the line in this game in terms of a conference championship or a bowl game, but this was a critical moment for the Mike Houston era. This would have been the first signature marquee win of the Mike Houston era. Something to really point to as we're heading in the right direction, the ship is turning, and instead it's just a an absolute screw job of a loss. And that that's what makes it difficult to swallow. But I still think like I said earlier, if you if you watch this team, you compare We've got three sample sizes now. Compare last year's South Florida game to this year's South Florida game. Compare last year's Navy game to this year's Navy game. Compare last year's Tulsa game to this year's Tulsa game. Night and day in all three categories, and I think ECU will continue to get better as a young team moving forward, and I expect them to come back with a vengeance against Tulane. So it's tough to swallow. It really is. It's tough to diagnose a game like this. And uh, luckily, this is a season where, in my opinion, the results are still very important, but the process matters more than the results. Given the flukiness of this season, uh, just see the whole Naylor situation during the Navy game. And, and it's frustrating to still say, hey, we're almost there, but we're not quite there. Eventually, it will break through. And I think uh, ECU football will be heard from again here in the near future, so Hang in there, Pirate fans. I know this was a tough one to take. I know it, it'll take multiple days, if not weeks, if not months to get over, maybe even years for some. Um, but uh, you have to move past it, hopefully, so you can get a win next weekend against Tulane and really kind of start to heal those wounds. And we'll we'll have all that coverage for you in the days ahead. Uh, that'll do it for our podcast, our post-game podcast. Again, the Tulsa Screwjob. Unfortunately for Pirate fans, it'll live on for quite some time. But, hey, all we can do is talk about it and try to move forward. So we'll be back with you next week. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Voice the Coach podcast. I'm Steven Igo. We'll talk to you next time.